everyone, and welcome back to episode 10 of Ava and Lilith, The Monsters of Men. I am your host, DC, and today with me, I have a new, shiny, lovely co-host with me who I'm going to let introduce themselves. Hey, um, I'm Delphina. My pronouns are she, her, and um, should I give the little spiel about how I got into Ava? Oh, I usually just like ask the question, like, what's your experience with Eva as a franchise? But whatever, beat me to the punch. Even better. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, I I think if I'm recalling correctly, I have like a somewhat similar experience to you, as in I got into it quite late. Um, Ooh, fun. I, yeah. <laughs> I never yeah, have people I, who come in late. They're always like, yeah, I've been with Evangelion for like the last 10 years of my life. And I'm like, oh, I feel like a baby. <laughs> Yeah, everyone's like, yeah, I watched it when I was 14, just like the characters. It was like, it was so impactful. And I'm like, oh, great. Uh, that's not at all how it went for me. Yep. I, I wasn't that big of an anime kid. Like in middle school, I watched like two of those middle school staples. I watched um, Oran High School Host Club and Death Note, but that was really it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then I didn't get back into anime at all until college. And I didn't watch Ava until it came on Netflix. I think like pretty much the day it came on Netflix, I was like, all right, time to see what this is about. I think that was 2019. I'm not sure exactly. But yeah, I watched it then. I watched the Netflix dub first. um, And then I watched the subs because everyone was like, don't watch the Netflix dub. Same. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yeah the same thing happened to me I don't think it's that bad they are there are some translation issues and and stuff that gets missed I do think the voice actors did a pretty good job yeah like Like, having no basis like I didn't see any issues but I I believe people when they say that there were a bunch like I I know how that is with other shows it can be really aggravating yeah from the from the consensus I get, uh, it, it's more of a problem with the translation itself than the actual dub, which is fair, uh-huh. which is fair because I've seen the original Japanese subtitled versions when uh, when Balt Misato does um, those live streams that she usually does. And yeah, there are a lot of subtle differences that get changed. But, you know, the core of the show stays the same. Everyone's sad. <laughs> yeah, and that's... That's the biggest, you know. The, the most important, thing. honestly. Like, everyone's sad. Let's all get trashed. <laughs> Let me tell you Sorry. something. E- even with you watching it, uh, like, on the same day it came out, you were still a little bit ahead of the curve than I was because I waited for, like, a whole year. <laughs> and I watched it, like, almost an entire year after. It, it came out in 2019. Low-key, that's impressive. <laughs> I, yeah. It, I think it has to do with the fact that I'm not a big anime person. Like, I've seen my fair share of animes. Uh, I'm not enough into it to become, like, a weeb or anything. But, <laughs> like, an official, like, hashtag proud weeb. But I think the reason I, I kept putting Ava off it was because it was intimidating. And you know what? I was right. It became a hyperfixation. And here I am, 10 <laughs> episodes later, hosting a podcast about it. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe you should have trusted that. <laughs> yeah, I really should have. So... I personally am very excited about today's topic of choice because since since the month of love, whatever that means capitalist-wise, 
I've decided to talk, put a light, shine a light, if you will, on the way Evangelion handles romance and how particular it is with its subjects. Because I do think it's very interesting to see where the show decides to put romance and where it decides to not put it. I feel like both speak huge levels about the importance of it and the lack of it. So first, I would like to know what is your experience mostly with like romance, either as a genre or just, yeah, no, mostly as a genre. I'm not going to ask any personal questions here. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me your dating history. and In detail. <laughs> how many times you got your heart broken. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I'm not like a huge romance fan, but I like many weeb types i i am one of those you know standard like fanficy shipper types i'm, okay. I'm gonna, yeah i'm always going to like my shows a little more if there's a little of that in there mm-hmm. uh, yeah though there has i mean it has to be fun it can't just be one of those situations where it's like well yeah there there's a man and a woman uh, in a piece of media so naturally you see where this is going, right? Yeah. No, funny that you mention it because I've known like big fandoms that whose entire fandom revolves around he was a boy and she was a girl. And that's like it for most of it. And it always surprises me because I sit down expecting an entirely different thing. And then I watch like a po- police procedural, for example, where the characters don't evolve progressively because it's a you know, it's a crime of the week type of show, for example. So there's a lot to be said with how people read things into, oh, there is a man, there's a woman, you know what that means. Yeah. (laughs) So lucky for you, or unlucky, depending the situation and how you feel about it, I am a huge romance novel enthusiast. Nice. (laughs) To the point where I'm actually trying to see if I can partly base my academic career off of it. Like a lot of the plans that I've made for my master's program have all been like, why don't we take romance seriously as a genre? A thousand billion worth essay by me. And, you know, things like that. I've been trying to keep an on-brand presence at the university. Uh, Friends keep calling me the horny scholar, which is fantastic. (laughs) That, that is a great title. I love it. I want um, one day I'll be able to put it like uh, uh, my name M- uh, PhD, the horny scholar. Just hand people your business card. And it'd be great. I'm a romance novel enthusiast, as my personal Twitter handle says. Uh, I read romance. I write romance. It, it is very much part of what made me me I guess like I've always been into it ever since I was younger Uh, of course starting with the more innocent stuff and then you know putting myself in the risque part of it maybe way too young who who am I to judge who's to say so imagine my surprise when I saw Ava a show that I wouldn't necessarily ever would categorize as romantic and it ended up seething itself into my bones so what does Ava have to say about love specifically romantic love first and then we can jump around with different types of love I guess because it is it is very interesting to see where we handle it because for example the main quote-unquote canon couples that we have are like Misato and Kaji which 
Some people love, some people don't. There's a lot of disagreement is the best word I can use for how the show handles them. I personally do love them and I think they're very interesting. I understand why some people don't, even though I don't agree with it. I understand it. But a lot of people say the same thing about me because, for example, I personally am not a huge Kaoru Shinji fan. But it's, you know, it's my own rationale. It doesn't have to do anything with how I view fans or the show itself. It's just that to me, narratively, it doesn't speak to me. But I do know that it speaks to a lot of different people. And I'm always curious about that. Like, what fascinates people about these types of ships? We also have the more uh, coded slash one-sided of Ritsuko and Maya. And then we have the cute and wholesome Toji and Hikari. Mm-hmm. Which I think are like the ones that we could call canon canon. And then everything else is just wildly up in the air. So do any of these speak to you? Why do they speak to you? What do you think this show has to say about love, Delfina? I I know that's a lot of questions. We just (laughs) just gotta unpack them one by one. So, um, so I don't know. (laughs) It's okay. So I feel, oh my goodness. So yeah, uh, to be totally honest, I think my appreciation of the couples in the show are more on on sort of a like literary, like how they serve the narrative level in this case, which is kind of odd for me because normally I am like a pretty, a pretty big shipper. Mm-hmm. Like if I had to pick a couple, I would say that uh, Toji and Hikari make me pretty emotional. Um, yes, but yeah, babies. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're so they're so cute. And like oddly enough, even though I, to be clear, I wouldn't want them to end up together, I did think that Asuka and Shinji's dynamic was was cute. Like when they were first meeting oh. each other. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna talk oh, about yeah. that because I have I have thoughts about this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was expecting to be in my feelings about Kaoru and Shinji, but and I have thoughts. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, mm-hmm. but like. As an actual couple, I'm more just, I don't know, not particularly moved, more just having thoughts. I completely understand because like you, I'm a big shipper person. Sometimes I'll just watch shows because someone told me, oh, X ship trope is in this show and you might like it. And I'm like, you just sold me. Where do I watch it? (laughs) And that's usually like my take on it. So when I watched Ava, it was very strange not having a ship to latch onto. I mean, you are presented options. It's just that none of them kind of completely hit that oomph level. You know, I feel like to me personally, the closest that it comes to is Misato and Kaji. And it's just because I genuinely do enjoy their James Bond, girl Bond, Bond girl dynamic thing going on. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I told you this like before we uh, were recording this, obviously. But yeah, I yeah. when I first watched, like I was kind of an anti-Kaji, but... Upon rewatch and upon hearing you give the Kaji defense, I, I understand now. I, I see I see why he's good. Like again, again, you're not the first person to be like, oh, I was an anti-Kaji and now I am not anymore. And I like and honestly, I understand the hesitation. I understand the hesitation because the first thing we ever see about Kaji is him him being like kind of a fuckboy about it, you know? Yeah. 
He's like, hey, Masato, I remember how you used to look when we fucked. And like, I understand the hesitation. I, I yeah. think, I mean, if we're, if we're going to just jump straight into it, I think the reason Masato Kaji calls to me the most of all is that at the end of the day, and of course, people can make arguments about this. I do think they are the most tragic because they are the representation of, you know, wrong place at the wrong time. Very, yes, very much so. And to me, that speaks to me a lot because, you know, they are in a, they're adults in a post second impact world where they remember a before and an after. So how do you come back from that? How do you deal with that? Well, you can either do one of the two things. You can either be like Masato and make it your own personal vendetta to get rid of the angels, but you're dealing with your daddy issues. Or you can be like Kaji and just be like a complete tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist of like, there's more to this shit going on and just become a triple agent, I guess. So it's this tragic story of two people who never fully grew to be their own person outside of trauma. Just finding that feeling with each other. And of course, arguments can be made about whether or not Misato actually loved him. Same vice versa as to whether or not Kaji um, actually loved Misato or if they were both using each other just to fill that empty void. But at the end of the day, like a lot of us, a lot of us view romance, whether in real life or in the genre, as a way to amplify emotions, if I can if I can be as bold to say something like that. Uh, of course, there are people who don't experience romantic attraction, and that's perfectly valid. Uh, but for those of us who do experience it or partake in the practice, I guess, I don't really know how to say these things because I am thinking in two languages. So I apologize if one of my ideas doesn't fully get communicated. Um, no worries. <laughs> But it it is interesting to me how, yes, you know, so what if Misato and Kaji are using each other to fill that void? The feelings that they do create for each other are genuine. And I feel like you can tell that, especially in the last scene that they have together where, yes, it is a sex scene. It's a sex scene that we don't see. And it ends up feeling so distant, but Mm -hmm. sad. To me, it's always spoken very much about how their relationship dynamic works. Because whenever I think about uh, Misato and Kaji, I just, I get kind of sad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, it, it's the good type of sad, but, you know, it's still sad. Well, yeah, if, if I can jump in for a minute. Of course. Um, I, it's interesting to me that you bring up that, like, you wouldn't necessarily consider them soulmates or anything like that. And, and yeah, I think that's sort of interesting because some people do get, like, very insistent about that sort of thing um Mm -hmm. with their shows but yeah i mean to me i think like evangelion and the way it writes relationships it's relatively realistic and it's gonna it's gonna approach relationships in a very like realistic way um the average 20 somethings that i dated in college i mean they might they might not be perfect for each other but that kind of to me that doesn't even really matter like it really doesn't to me either yeah It's like the tragedy is that they're not able to even, I don't know, like even just try out this relationship, like Mm -hmm. find the highs and lows of life just in a normal world. Exactly. Yeah, there's always the undercurrent of this other shit going on. They don't really get a time to explore what Misati, Misato and Kaji would be, you know, they don't get to explore what a them, I I said like the ship name, like Misaji, Uh, (laughs) but- 
they don't really get to explore what they would be. You know, they they are in their own individuals. They have their own agendas and their own ideals. The fact that we never see them like properly on a date just tells us as much. They don't have time. Mm-hmm. And that's yes. the saddest thing about it. They just don't have time. Yeah. They've got to like speed run this shit. They, they spend a week in bed. They like live together for... I don't know when it was, but like that tiny amount of time and, and like, yeah. that's it. Yeah. And the fact that they did it in their early twenties, I believe, because they're, they're in college when they live together and stuff. Uh, early twenties is like a very big period of self-discovery and identity. And who knows, like maybe it was a good thing that Miss, that Misato like cut ties, even though she had a really shitty excuse. Like you remind me of your father, girl, yeah. <laughs> girl, you need to seek a therapist anyway. Not his problem. No, yeah. Poor Kai. Kaji, a, a lot of people like to like, um, you know, hand wave away the fact that Kaji, Kaji was left on the assumption that Misato cheated on him. And, oh, yeah. and with all of that, he still manages to like, you know, have at least the persona of a peppy, happy, like fuckboy type of attitude when he sees her. He's not mad at her for cheating on him. She, He doesn't even seem to resent her, honestly. It's like, oh, you're here too. Interesting. Yeah, I guess uh, on my first watch, I, yeah, I just like totally missed really a lot of, of the details of their relationship. I was just kind of like, because, I don't know, because I have my anime expectations, I was like, oh, so Kaji's this character. Uh, not not usually a fan of this type, so I'm not going to pay much attention. But yeah, I mean, like, low-key, uh, he handled that situation better than I would, so <laughs> props there. I-, I love, I always love mentioning that out of the entire cast, which all of them have their own big issues with a capital I, I think Kaji's the one that either has it the most together or is very good at pretending it he has it all together yeah because the rest of them are like bleeding out of their pores bad like oh you can see misato's daddy issues from a mile away yeah yeah whereas he's like he's kind of like an it's the end of the world so let's just have fun type of dude it really is like i I always mention that kaji like you know kaji works for kaji first kaji second and kaji third he is Mm -hmm. his his main priority he just wants to get to the truth and there is some there is a valuable quality to that at least to me there is which is why he ranks so highly up my favorites but his relationship to Misato, I understand why people are gonna kind of put off by it because one of the first instances that we see them together, he is technically kissing her against her will in the elevator. And I understand why people get uncomfortable with it. Yeah. But I also understand that this is just his way of distracting her so she can, you know, just throw the files on the floor and he can look at him real quick because he is a spy. Yeah. It's just, is he's just reading these. I, I, I have a headcanon. I haven't brought it up in a while, but I have a headcanon that Kaji just like voraciously reads romance novels. And that's why he gets, that's where he gets all his like shitty spy tactics from. <laughs> Because it makes sense. That's the type of stuff you see in a romance novel. Like, oh, you kiss the man, the main officer of the deck so you can get information. Ooh, so scandalous. And that's the fun in it. Uh, I do understand why people are uncomfortable, though. And I never do want to disvalue or discredit their feelings of being uncomfortable. So which is why I don't bring it up much or I don't talk about it much because I try to respect everyone's limits 
but to me personally, it, it I never read it as completely abhorrent, I guess. I, I was just like, oh, this is a dynamic now. We're gonna we're gonna have to see where this goes. And well, it ended up with them sort of almost falling back in love. And I say almost and sort of because we don't really get the answer to that. Yep. <laughs> like with many things. Yeah, yeah though, I yeah, like I I I feel that it's, it's not my favorite dynamic. And yeah, I wouldn't, I don't know, like if someone was uncomfortable with it, I wouldn't really try to explain it away, but it's, I'm also not personally super bothered. Cause I, yeah, I understand that the intention isn't to show like, I don't know, like an abusive situation. Exactly. It's, it's more of an iffy one. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree. I completely agree. On the other hand, we have sweet and wholesome Toji and Hikari, which are yes. just like, they're so precious. As soon as we got like the vaguest inclination that Hikari had a crush on him, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Toji is like my obscure fave, probably like, oh, I get it. <laughs> Yeah, like he, he's rarely there, but I love that man. He is adorable and Sweet awkward. Boy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And him him and Hikari, they're they're just unproblematic faves. Truly, truly. I think the magic of Toji and Hikari is that they are the sense of normalcy in this entire show where everyone's like kind of fucked up and kind of kind of screwed. They are the sense of normalcy, at least in the beginning. They're two kids. They're in high school. They get into shenanigans. One's a little bit more uptight than the other. Classic anime setup. But then Toji gets chosen to be the pilot and shit hits the fan. Yeah, and it's... Yeah, and it happens like just so at the peak of of like what what would be their romance story if this was a slice of life anime. Exactly. But alas, yeah, but alas, it is not. So yeah, so it's like we get most of the story, and then it's just like fuck you guys. You thought yeah. you thought you were gonna little little couple but no the fact that the last time we see them is i think and i could be mistaken but i am almost positive that the last time we see them is when toji wakes up in the hospital and hikari's waiting for him she's like on the bed next to him and she's the one that tells him that oh shinji was here too but then he like went away and all that jazz and he's like have you been here every day and she's like no baka (laughs) (laughs) but yeah you know she's totally been there every single day yeah it's adorable they're super sweet if anyone has anything bad to say about toji and hikari i will fight you because <laughs> they are just the unproblematic sweethearts yep they're 14 give them a break let them hold hands and eat ice cream uh, like i almost get the sense and okay this this might be a spicy like Ooh, spicy, spicy hot take time who knows yeah but sometimes when i see the like alternative versions of asuka and shinji that people will like convince themselves is them i'm like you guys just want toji and hikari like why truly just just go to them just go to the ship that's already available don't twist the characters that we actually have in order to fit the fantasy that you want just just go to the next one toji and hikari are so so sweet like the only thing i want them to do is hold hands and share ice cream that's all i want them to do just like hold hands share ice cream maybe go watch a movie normal just normal teenage stuff yeah yeah straight up which i think is a great segue actually to talk about how the show handles 
Asuka and Shinji. And I am purposely saying how it handles it because I don't consider them a val like a like a ship. I don't consider them I don't consider them with romantic potential because the show itself just slaps you with it. It's like no, these this cannot happen. Yeah. And I feel like if people adamantly refuse that I I don't know what to tell you, my dude. The show is telling you not to do it. <laughs> yeah, I I'd like to hear um kind of what makes you say that because I am generally yeah like I'm generally in agreement there but but I can still see how some people would sort of take away like oh, oh don't, yeah don't get me wrong I okay I, I talked about this uh like ooh, like a couple of months back with um with anima shout out to Audrey I love I love you uh I basically told them that the reason I think a lot of people gravitate towards Asuka and Shinji as a ship is because in any other anime, they would be endgame. In mm. any other anime, the hyper, uh, more strong personality and the shy, more quiet personality, that's a normal ship trope. That's a normal ship dynamic. It's opposites attract and a lot of people are attracted to that. The reason I feel like in Evangelion itself, it doesn't work uh, other than the fact that, you know, there's a bunch of things to consider. How Asuka doesn't let people in. How Shinji treats the women in his life. How the the infamous end of Eva opening shot is a big one. Uh, how Shinji continually sexualizes Asuka. And that we clearly see through the visuals that the show presents. I think Asuka and Shinji's dynamic speaks more about what it feels to be a teenager mm-hmm. and experience attraction rather rather than the attraction itself if that makes any sense no i yeah i definitely agree there uh yeah and it it also it does need to be pointed out that unfortunately most of the asuka shinji ship fan base is uh extremely older men that are projecting ideas most of yeah. it not a lot of it but most of it yeah yeah that's a fair point as well and that and that just adds a whole other layer of yikes to the situation it's like you said like people in this in these instances change a little bit asuka and shinji's core personalities for them to work as a couple when Truly, what you are looking for is Toji and Hikari. May I direct you to the next ship, please? Yeah, yeah, exactly. As you point out that it's often old, older men um, sort of, yeah, twisting what they actually are. Um, just, I, I want to throw out that when I was re-watching, like, I don't know why it didn't hit me so hard the first time, but yeah, just how, like, completely immature their relationship really is. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I mean, how much it, like you said, it is very much emblematic of what it's like to be a teenager that maybe wants to sort of try things out, like kind of with whoever whoever you're sort of circumstantially put in a situation with. Exactly. But yeah, but the idea that that they were like deeply in love, that never crossed my mind. No, and, me, me neither. Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, it's like, they're so young. It's, I don't, like, they remind me more of like, Calvin and Susie from Calvin and Hobbes than like a real ass relationship. Get it. Every time I ask people about their favorite dynamics on the show, 
I always get Adam, shout out to Adam, who tells me that Asuka and Shinji's dynamic reminds him of a sibling dynamic. Mm. And I under I understand why I under I don't I don't 110% agree with it because I do think that their weird teenage attraction thing gets in the way. But I do definitely see where they're coming from because yeah, the fact that Asuka always has to like be be like better than Shinji. She has to constantly prove herself. She has to constantly be like, oh, he's so great. Oh, don't you think so? Like he's she's always trying to put him down. Because she yeah. feels bad about herself. Yeah. And I do understand why people could view it that way. Asuka and Shinji's dynamic, again, in any other anime, would have been Endgame. The fact that Evangelion decides not to make it Endgame, and in fact, make it actively <laughs> worse as time goes on, I feel like speaks a lot about how audiences can react to certain dynamics and certain things. But also how a lot of people just... And this might just be me reaching, but a lot of people seem to have difficulties grasping how romantic dynamics work. Because you can tell, like, dynamics are always going to be vast and varied. But romantic dynam dynamics, you kind of have to handle them with a little bit of grace. Because at the end of the day, you are selling to people, to an audience, the idea that these two people are in love. They are in love. I never got that with Shinji and Asuka. And I don't think I ever will. However, yeah. I do think... Not, I don't think. I understand. I understand why people whose experience with Evangelion is only the rebuilds. I understand why they would ship Asuka and Shinji. Because in the rebuilds, we don't get all of the subtext. We just get Sundere and Shy Boy. And that's, that, that's all we get. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. And I've I've got some thoughts on the rebuilds. Ooh, I would love to get into that because yeah. I have the rebuilds. But anyway, yeah, at the end of the day, closing thoughts on my part, at least. Asuka and Shinji is a fascinating dynamic to inspect, but I would never condone it to be like an actively shipped thing or a healthy one or even a ship to aspire to be like, because one of the main defenses that I keep reading about people who like Asuka and Shinji together is like, oh, it's the idea that people can grow and change together. And I'm like, there's so much more content out there that tackles those issues that doesn't have one of the characters sexually assaulting the other one. Like, with <laughs> specifically with them, like, bitch, where? Where do you... Where are they, like, growing and changing? Because that's what they're projecting onto it. Yeah. That's the thing. We, we come back circle to this idea that people change their personalities in order to fit the dynamic that they want them to have. Yeah. I, I completely agree with the idea that, like, a lot of romance stories, a, a lot of poorly written ones, will, I think, they'll sort of put forth this trope dynamic, like the, like the Sundere and the Quiet Dude, and I mean, and lots of times people will even just sort of take that at face value and be like, okay, yeah, I recognize this dynamic and I like this dynamic. So therefore, like, I'm going to root for these people. Mm -hmm. But in many cases, I mean, they just sort of shallowly, like, re resemble better written relationships with those tropes. And like these characters themselves, not necessarily Asuka and Shinji, but just just poorly written romances yeah as a whole 
like, yeah, they themselves, they won't really have a base of caring or attraction, like, built into the actual content. You're just supposed to sort of recognize that. Yeah, it's this whole idea of, you know, he was a boy and she was a girl. Can I make it any more obvious? Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. that's not enough for you to write a, a believable, tangible, palpable romance story. You need to have two main characters that are defined and there are detailed and complex. That's the reason why, for example, I am so attracted to both Misato Kaji and Ritsuko Maya because they are fully rounded characters that do have a base of caring for one another as their main point and then you can start reading things into it you know yeah like and and I don't want to to be clear I do think Asuka and Shinji are are great and well-developed characters oh same of course yeah and even their relationship is well written I just don't think it's like one of an endgame romance personally yeah it's not the pinnacle of romance that people like that a lot of men swear it is yeah for some reason can I also just throw out I don't know if this is true but I have heard many times that Evangelion was sort of or like is considered the trope originator of the Sundere trope and watching it again like it's kind of hilarious to me because like Asuka acts this way because she's immature like it's a very childish uh way of acting i also have heard about it i don't i'm pretty sure it's not the originator but it's one of the ones that made it the most popular i would say but the thing is that people mistake atsuka's behavior as oh i have a crush on shinji instead of i have deep psychological issues that have to do with my parents abandoning me when I was way too young and forced me to grow up way too fast. And, you know, that tells more about the people behind the ships and behind these stan accounts or whatever than about the actual show because the show makes it pretty clear that these two people could never work because they are not meant to work. They are meant to cross each other's paths to, like, challenge one another i would say the best thing about asuka and shinji is that they challenge each other at least in the first couple of episodes then it gets you know then it gets real dark real fast but at least um in episode nine i would say the span of episodes from eight to 15 where the show kind of becomes a fun slice of life action anime this is where we kind of see them challenge them uh, each other because nobody gets under shinji's skin like asuka does uh, you sure. And, you know, sometimes people are in our lives for that, to challenge us, to make us see things different ways. But that's it. That's all there is. At least I personally think so. Again, I am not the be-all, end-all of this show. I am merely a simple podcast host that has a lot to say. I feel you. I mean, I, I did get the sense that they probably had crushes on each other or oh, like yeah. Even, yeah or just like an attraction mm-hmm. I just yeah it's just to me I interpreted it very much in the way that probably most of us could name a middle school crush that we had and it's not like necessarily that that was like a super big moment in our lives it's kind of just what happens when you're 14 and hormonal yeah yeah because yeah, at the end of the day you know 
they're teenagers the hormones are going all over the place and they're like starting to get into the whole hormone thing because at the start of the show they're in that 13 to 14 15 age range and you know that's still very early in the in puberty stages so it does make sense to me that shinji and asuka maybe even have crushes on each other without knowing it without they were just like ah shit but again the show also makes it very clear that crushes are just crushes crushes are not you know this these big sweeping romantic gestures of ultimate love no they're just you know sometimes they pass quickly sometimes it's just a physical thing sometimes it's just an attraction thing hey sometimes it's just the fact that your two 14 year olds who your 30 year old guardian leaves alone in the house for way too long yep (laughs) Because that's another thing. Misato has two hormonal teenagers in her house. And she's like, I'll be back at like, I don't know what clock. Take care of yourselves. Microwave dinner. Bye. It's like, it's fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. Can I just throw out also that uh, like the scene, the, the kiss scene, basically, like, which is hardly even a kiss scene. It's just, oh, uh, yeah, just like an embarrassment. But it, personally, I think it's comedy gold. Every time I watch it, it just absolutely kills me. Not the one where he tries to kiss her while she's sleeping, to be clear. No, no, yeah. the 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 pen pen one where pen pen's like, oh, this this seems like a bad idea. Uh, I'm gonna hit the fuck out. Yes, where she holds his nose and we just watch his like skin go like purple and then green. It is so funny. You know, I think that kissing really is the epitome of their whole relationship. There was an attraction. They tried it out. But both of them are honestly too immature and too childish to know what to do. Or they don't really properly understand emotions as big as attraction and romantic attraction so they interpret these ideals and these themes in their own childish manners which is why asuka instead of just saying hey when you breathe it tickles let's try it another way she just straight out holds his nose like an like a maniac (laughs) yeah or even when she's like when like we just know hey she wants to try kissing someone because she can instead she's like i'm bored like let's kiss just because i don't want to but i don't want to but if you're that desperate like girl come on yeah and it's and it's all understandable i mean obviously they're they're baby they're very small and little and adorable but the fact that people then yeah like take them and they're like this is the the stan hill i'm gonna die on Uh uh-huh that's what kills me yeah the show makes it very clear that they are it's not gonna happen, you guys. The Asuka and Shinji y'all portray in like fan art and fanfic do not exist. They just straight out do not exist. And I I have tried understanding it because when I we were gonna do this episode, I was like, okay, I have to try to see it from the other side. I I have to. And I just I couldn't because it's it, you really hit the nail on the coffin at the beginning of the episode when you said that people change their personalities in order to fit the ship dynamic because that's truly is what they do they a lot of them water asuka down way too much and a lot of them paint shinji as this uwu hero who understands what she's going through when actually no in the show he part of the show's main thesis statement is that shinji never really understood what other people were going through 
Yeah. And yeah. Right. Right. Like as I've just gone off about like kind of how much I don't like them as a couple, I will admit I would be interested to hear someone who really does explain why they do provided that they aren't, that they don't have the sort of like rebuild movies idea of what their, their relationship is. Like if they're still looking at them within the context of the show, then, then I'd be interested to hear like why they're into it. Oh, I just know it. I got, when I announced that we were doing this episode, I got a couple of them in the comment section, like actively fighting me because they were like, oh, how dare you say that Asuka and Shinji have a dynamic? No, they're a ship and they're my favorite ship because it's all about how you can change through the love of other people. Like the few, <laughs> the few amount of research that I've been able to do into this fandom space is really is just that they project some feelings and they project some ideals onto them that are just not present in the source material and i don't know if that speaks more about how they handle stuff than how about we handle it because most of the people that i've been talking to through the podcast or through twitter we all kind of have the same agreements that yeah everyone does bad things in this show However, since it's a show about people doing bad things, you kind of get to examine it through a different lens. But it's definitely different when you proudly advocate that you think this ship is quote unquote very good and healthy. When in the text, there have been multiple cases of sexual assault and aggressive violence done toward them, I guess is, is going to be my closing statement. Yeah. <laughs> On them, specifically. Too long, didn't hear. Uh, I like Asuka and Shinji as a dynamic. I don't support them as a couple. Bang. G- gavel drop. <laughs> however. Agree. <laughs> however. Yep. I am a sucker for the deep layers, the deep hidden layers and beauty and subtlety that is Ritsuko and Maya. I, I love that for you. I can't wait to hear about this. Because, (laughs) okay, Ritsuko and Maya was one of the things that on my first watch, I didn't take notice of. I didn't take notice of Ritsuko a lot in my my first watch. I was mostly focusing, there was so much to take in. I was mostly focusing on like the pilots and sometimes Misato. When she appeared, she had a whole thing going on. Uh, But upon second rewatch and third rewatch, I focused way more on the adult characters because I was like, okay, they're closer to my age range. I don't really relate to the pilots anymore because I'm not 14. Uh, Let's see what the show has to say about adulthood. And what fascinates me about Ritsuko and Maya is that it is layered. It is hidden. We mostly get very few extremely subtle instances of them talking always together or being together or whatever and then it gets solidified with that last scene and end of Ava which is so (laughs) sad because Maya is a sweetheart yes she's she's the best and I don't know I think what it calls to me about them is that they are very different personalities and as a sucker for opposites attract I feel like everyone this is the one we should be focusing on you know you make a good pitch (laughs) 
yeah, because when you think about it, when you take them as their own characters separately, you know, Ritsuko is very cold. She's very distant. She's incredibly smart, but she's very professional. Maya is a little bit more open. She's warm. She's inviting. Uh, people have very easy time talking to her. She's approachable. And whenever they are in frame together or they're working together, you can very much see that contrast. It's like the the meme from Parks and Rec, like someone is, someone's going to die. A fun. God, you're so right. And I, I just enjoy them. I enjoy them a lot. They do have that extra spicy, tragic element that in End of Ava, you know, Maya's last person that she sees through instrumentality in order to soothe her into it is Ritsuko and there's like the the message of I need you written on the board which that that was so jarring sorry go on no 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 I want to know I want to I want to hear why you think why it jarred you so much I I guess okay and I'm so sorry if my dogs start barking while I'm saying this it's all right we Uh, love doggos good I've I've got three just that they've been encircling me like hyenas um (laughs) Anyway, though, yeah, I just, I guess I just wasn't expecting it. Not that I, not that I hadn't noticed that, like, that Maya probably had a thing for Ritsuko. Mm-hmm. I was just sort of. It just wasn't on your radar. Yeah. And I, I was sort of chalking it up to, like, it, yeah, Ava's one of those shows where everyone has at least, at least, like, a slightly developed relationship. Like, whether we really get to see it, no one's just sort of put there arbitrarily yeah mm-hmm. and and Maya is an adorable little I would like baby gay means something else but you know baby lesbian and she is, yeah and it she makes is. sense we love her we stand her here yes and it makes sense that she'd be into her senpai okay here come my dogs okay. <laughs> yeah but uh I wasn't yeah I just wasn't expecting it to be as deep as mm-hmm. the yeah as the end of Ava like ends up implying. yeah and it is really interesting because Again, Maya is essentially, you know, a bridge bunny at the end of the day. We don't get to see her. We never get an episode centered on her. She truly is a side character, much like uh, Aoba and Hyuga are. And even Hyuga gets like his own little romantic subplot where he has a crush on Misato. He, he does have romantic feelings for her. And I feel like the way the show clashes them with Ritsuko and Maya is very interesting because with Ritsuko and Maya you do get the sense that Ritsuko does respect Maya as a professional you know she knows that Maya is very skilled she's trained her herself she respects her work and her work ethic while Misato could not make it any more obvious that she doesn't give a shit about Hyuga poor poor boy poor poor short king Hyuga (laughs) but prayers f in the chat for you (laughs) pour one out for Hugo. (laughs) but yeah again it's one of those things where the show contrasts this to let us know that yeah maybe we didn't notice on our first watch because we were too busy trying to ingest everything else because this show there's always something happening in this show yeah i just i'm just glad that even though it was tragic the last time we get to see them together and you can debate whether or not they were actually together because that Ritsuko was a part of Maya's imagination. At least we get to see something unfold from it. Yeah. And we get and it, them. And that's what matters. Yeah. And it did feel, even though it was clearly like a vision created by the Tang gods, um, <laughs> it felt feasible coming yes. from Ritsuko. Like, yeah, it was like, oh, maybe in a better world, this could have happened with them and it would have been sweet. Exactly. 
Exactly. I, I keep thinking of a press F for you. <laughs> Uh, poor Hugo. Poor Hugo, man. Like, I feel so bad. Like, Ioba had it read. He was like, I'm not going to mess with anyone. I am looking out for me. I'm just going to play my guitar and come into work. And you know what? I respect that. I respect I a king that does not mix his personal life with his professional life. I think you mentioned this in another episode, but like the fact that when everyone else is being lured into instrumentality, like with their crushes and stuff, he's just terrified by a bunch of rays like it's, i know i know it's meant to be a scary moment but that's another moment of just comedy for me but i'm kind of a bad person i, I mean i understand i understand the comedic aspect to it because it is jarring to see everyone have like a nice instrumentality process and then hugo i mean ioba is like terrified in a corner and he's just surrounded by a bunch of 14 year old girls he's just like like what the hell what is going on And and let me tell you something. It like the process of instrumentality terrifies me. I think it would be my actual worst nightmare. And I understand Ioba where he's coming from. Uh, poor Ioba is one of the people around the entire earth that's like, "Oh, so I get to die because some 14-year-old had a meltdown? Great." You know, that that's pretty relatable. Ah, <laughs> oh, I must be missing a sh a ship or a dynamic or two. I'm going to pull up real quick a tweet that I tweeted on Valentine's Day actually. Uh and I asked people like what are your favorite dynamics from the show? It doesn't necessarily have to be a ship, it just has to be a dynamic between two or more people for say. And I got a, I got a lot of interesting responses. Uh I got a lot of people telling me uh Ritsuko and Misato's friendship was a big one and I do agree with that. I feel like their friendship is one of the cornerstones of this show and it's very very interesting to watch it especially as an adult where you understand the complexities of, you know, having work, having your own personal life when they intermingle and all that jazz. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And the fact that they all, well, uh Ritsuko, Misato and Kaji like know each other from college and there's all this sort of lingering baggage. Yes. Yeah. It their their whole thing kind of punches me in the stomach like sometimes i want yeah i really want to stand them but sometimes like it it almost depresses me oh i stand them partly because they depress me <laughs> no but i i do i do think that they're and to me personally like while i do love the pilots i truly do asuka is my favorite character from the entire show the most fascinating dynamics to me are the three adult characters and i think it's because they just have layers of complexity on them complexity that they themselves understand that is there and are choosing not to address it because that's the difference between the dynamics between the adult characters and the dynamics between the kid characters like the kids have dynamics but they don't truly understand them because they're kids the adults have the dynamics they understand them and then they actively avoid them like the millennials that they are exactly yeah the the adults are very relatable in that Yeah, they've got all their their own personal shit going on, but they're like I guess the the current world equivalent would just be like burying yourself in your work, which is mm -hmm. what they do with like higher stakes obviously. Truly. Like, it, it really is. 
all three of them are very scared of emotional vulnerability which is why to me one of the highlights of the show is uh the wedding slash bar scene in episode 15 they're all just kind of chilling just vibing they're existing they're existing as adults a day off of work a free time and somehow they still manage to talk about work yeah <laughs> even the fact that they mentioned just kind of in the lore of the show that a bunch of their peers are like rushing to get married now uh-huh. yeah in the wake of the coming apocalypse it's like that's a mood if yeah. i've ever seen one Ooh, th- talking about this show as the covid pandemic thing keeps going on gets more and more exhausting after a while because oof <laughs> boy is it starting to feel like a, the end oh it's just it's just bizarre like how much oh no it seems like he was able to predict about just like the daily the daily grind of, of living in one of these events on, yeah. i mean that yeah i'm sure he wasn't actually like i'm sure that similar events had happened that he was pulling from like mm-hmm. i don't yeah don't mean to be a self-centered millennial but it's just it's very bizarre to watch it right now yeah it, it, it hits closer definitely uh i got a couple of other responses a lot of people really like the dynamic and relationship between shinji and misato which i definitely agree with uh it's one of the cornerstones of the show it's the show's first true dynamic establishment the show and the movie itself does go to weird places with it but i understand why they made the these creative choices i i personally would not have done them myself but i understand why they were made not to like make you defend that thesis it, uh but i but do you have thoughts on why because to be honest that's that's something that completely baffled me like well, all the time <laughs> i i have tried understanding why they made certain things the way they did and i've come to a couple of conclusions the first one is a very basic one it's the fact that again shinji's a hormonal 14 year old boy it makes sense that he would be into his really hot 30 year old lady guardian who happens to wear like very short uh pants when she's around the house and tight shirts that accentuate her assets i I mean i i know why i think she's hot yeah (laughs) so yeah like i understand that point of view it's always been more difficult for me to understand why the show decided to also put this for misato uh the common thing that i've heard is that This is just a way to reflect the fact that Misato really doesn't know how to handle or deal with her emotions, which fair, I understand that. And I can kind of agree with that. But I always took it as like, okay, I'll tell you this fun fact. The first time I saw the episode where Misato enters Shinji's room and she kind of like puts her hand on his and she's like, oh, there's only one thing I can give you. And he rejects her. (laughs) I did not read it as sexual it never crossed my mind that she was offering herself to him because to me that did not seem as a possibility i thought she was talking more about just general comfort you know yeah i thought of that i think it's a a very normal interpretation let me say i i thought that as well until i started talking to like other people like in real life that had seen the show and they were like i can't believe masada tried to have sex with Shinji, and i was like what when And then, like, I did my research, I read a couple of uh, essays, I read a lot of Q Masato stuff, and yes, according to the storyboards, she was technically 
offering herself to him. And I understand that the show did this just to showcase that Misato is just as lonely as Shinji because when Shinji rejects her, she gets out of the room and Pen Pen's there and she kind of like hugs Pen Pen. And she's like, oh, uh, like she she admits to herself and to the audience at some point, you know, I don't really care who it comes from. I'm just like anyone will do because she's that lonely. So if 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 that's the purpose that they wanted to convey, fine. I don't love it, but I understand why it's there. The one that I still don't fully understand why it happened is the kiss. Yeah, in in End of Evangelion, yeah. I I've seen people tell me that not tell me like i've looked this up on videos and stuff like i'm I'm a very heavy research person most people seem to come to the conclusion that it's either one of two things it's either misato passing the torch onto shinji because she does push him into the elevator and she gives him her her cross necklace and this like this is your burden to carry now all that jazz and the other explanation is, oh, it was his her way of distracting him so she can actually push him into the elevator and make him do stuff. And yes, I can definitely see where both of these arguments are coming from. But also, I also feel like there was a way better, less creepy way of doing that. Because I understand if you wanted to put the kiss in there and just be like, ahaha, I tricked you. You're in the elevator now. Like, okay, that's fine. But then you add the line where she says like, oh, that was an adult kiss. We'll do the rest when you came, come back. And I'm just like, why? Why did we add that line? We could have just had her. We could have just had her if we must, if we must have the kiss. You could have just had her standing there smiling the same way like the last shot Shinji sees of her and that's it you close you close that like that we didn't need that line yeah you know I think I'm in complete agreement like yeah I understand some potential um like motivations in in both of those scenes I guess personally I don't think they need to be there at all but like exactly yeah but yeah but like in particular that one line I'm just like what the hell like it just yeah it, it always read to me very much as just Anna just doing a little bit of self-fulfillment fantasy there because I don't want to I don't want to discourage any of Anna's would-be or not influence in his own work but that particular scene to me always has always felt weird I almost always skip it whenever I rewatch End of Ava and if I don't skip it I like watch it just like at, at a little faster speed than the rest of the film just because yeah. I feel like it just it doesn't jive well for me. It just makes me feel uncomfortable too because there's it's it's a 30-year-old woman kissing a 14-year-old boy. That yeah, that's very fair. I mean, we, yeah, like obviously I I love Ava, but uh it is a an anime from the 90s. It's gonna it's gonna have some things where I'm just like, okay, I can't even mm-hmm. justify this. I just have to accept it as like something that yeah, that's just like an unfortunate part of this thing I like. Yeah, but when we talk about Shinji and Misato's dynamic, as it is, just a dynamic, no romance or anything involved, I I do think they're, they are the core of the show. They are, the, like, as Lily underscore Maja says, shout out, uh, they are the heart of the series because they're the first characters that we meet. They are the first characters that whose inner lives we get to explore. They are the first characters whose dynamic we start watching from scratch. Yeah. And, you know, as much as we call the pilots the protagonists of the show, I would argue that the, 
you know, the protagonist is Shinji, but the Dodoragonist, I'm pretty sure I said that wrong. I'm so sorry, is Misato. Because Misato's the one that's there from episode one. I, I totally agree. And yeah, I think like, yeah, in the early episodes, sort of before uh, Asuka and even Rei are like big members at all of the cast, you you start to care about the show because of Misato and Shinji. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you, you see you see that this intricate relationship is being developed and it's it's really interesting. And you're like, oh, so there there is a heart to this this mecha show. Cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, now now we have to get into the contentious one. Oh no, even the dogs protested. <laughs> okay, okay. They say hell no. Okay, so we can either go to the contentious one where I am the minority, or we can go into the more hashtag problematic ones where I feel like there is definitely room to explore. So which one of these two roads would you like to travel on? I, uh, are we going to get to both, do you think, in either case? I think we will, because, yeah, I think we will. I think we will. All right. How about, how about we cover the first you mentioned, then? Okay, first. the contentious one. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, but I, I guess it's it's time. It's time for me to come forward. I'm not a big Shinji Karu person, and it's because I personally don't, really find Karu that interesting as a character. I do find him interesting as an entity in the world. The fact that he is an angel, but he looks, acts, speaks like a human. And the fact that he's so alienated from the rest of the cast. I do find that very interesting. And I wish that was an aspect that we explored more of this character. But I personally have never been that fond of them as a ship. And I know they are a big, big one in this fandom. And it always makes me feel kind of bad because I'm always like, maybe I am the person in the wrong. How dare you? What is wrong with you? <laughs> <I> knew it. <laughs> no, I, I actually, I'm pretty much completely with you. Really? Um, yeah. Um, and, and that's weird because uh, when I plug my Twitter and stuff, you'll, you'll be able to see all this. But like, I... I am sort of the queer subtext, like uh, that is that is like my thing. Mm-hmm. I I study that uh, as like low key a hobby, low key as part of my major. Uh, that is what I love to focus on. Yeah, but yeah, but Shinji and Kaoru as a relationship, like I yeah, I, I mean I don't love it so much for for the relationship itself. I do think that what it is like okay I've got a lot of thoughts actually yeah no I have some too it's just that I feel like it's too many hot spicy takes for one episode so oh yeah okay well I'll try to like I'll try to avoid too too spicy and too spicy takes (laughs) I I just think like I really like that Kaoru shows up at the end I love his role in the full narrative of Ava Mm mm-hmm I, yeah, I think it's really cool that we were sort of building up to this final angel battle. And then in the end, like, there just straight up isn't one. It's just yeah. like, yeah, Kaoru's just like, not actually, uh, I think you guys deserve to live because you guys are cool. Uh, so bye. And it's like, yo, what? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Like, that kind of blew my mind. Um, I didn't get the sense that, like, there was really any reason, like, 
Shinji in particular didn't exactly win Kaoru's heart. It seemed maybe like he was just, I don't know, fascinated by humans as a whole. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I also noticed, um, I was looking at that that Valentine tweet that you tweeted out. Um, and I, I don't know if you like wanted to mention this or not. So like, stop me if you did. But someone commented about like the tragedy of their relationship. And I thought it was really interesting. Um, it came from someone called um, moon underscore dweller five. Yeah, and shout I just- out to Selena. I love you, girl. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I just want to like read it verbatim because I think it's perfect. And I had never considered this before. Like, and I was so mad at myself when I read it. And I was like, how had I never thought of this? But yeah, the, the tweet is... Uh, Shinji and Kaoru, something so tragic about their relationship. It's what everyone wants, a literal angel to come and take you away, but that's not realistic. You quite literally have to kill that idea. And I was like, what? I had never considered it like that. Like, that's why Kaoru is so one-dimensional. That's why he's just there for Shinji. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, Selena, like, single-handedly managed to change my mind because for the longest time, I just, I genuinely didn't think there was anything there to talk about. And then Selena was like, actually, I have a hot take. And I was like, Queen, you're absolutely right. You do have a hot take and I am here for it. Blew my mind. I I would also, to be clear, I am a gay. I am not... (laughs) I am, I am oh, oh not- really oh really show me your license <laughs> damn it <laughs> it's uh it was suspended recently it was suspended because of this take actually um <laughs> whether or not like and I know it's mostly a dude's bro take to even debate this at all like whether mm-hmm. you Shinji is like I don't know like deeply bi and would have been falling in love with other dudes like as he grew older um had had the world not gone to hell I do think it's interesting that Kaoru is another boy also just because of how much difficulty like feeling understood by women Shinji continually has mm-hmm. throughout the show. So the fact that like his his savior angel is another boy is I mean it's interesting like because of the queer aspect also, which which does play play a big role in the show. Oh, but yeah. I, it also wouldn't surprise me if that's like another part of the reason that Kaoru is kind of his perfect fantasy because like there's even less of a barrier to understanding. Yeah, you, you know what? Yeah, you just opened my eyes. I never even thought about it that way. <laughs> no, and that makes total sense because it, it again, it's just an easier way for Shinji to have someone relate to him or relate to someone else because he has such a difficulty understanding the women in his life, which are a lot of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that he's just like, you know what? It's boy time. <laughs> That's very valid of him. <laughs> oh, man. But that did that those those type of those types of ideas are the ones that intrigued me about this situation, the this dynamic in particular. Uh, maybe I'm not into the whole like ultimate romance aspect of it that a lot of people seem to be, but I do like the idea of the tragedy behind it, of the thought placed behind it. And I might be misremembering this. Please, anyone, if you remember the details, leave them at at the tweet thread that I'm going to publish this episode on. But I believe that there is an aspect of Kaoru and Shinji's relationship that is based on Anno's real-life friendship with Miyazaki. I don't fully remember if that is the entire detail, but I remember reading something like that. So if anyone can correct me, I would very much appreciate that. But yeah, I do find it interesting that, you know, a lot of people, to most of us, the queer subtext was text, but to a lot of people are just like, Two bros sitting in a hot tub, five feet apart because they're not gay. Oh, yeah, yeah. And those people 
are fools. Very, very foolish indeed. Because <laughs> even I, a not connoisseur of the Kaoshin, understand that there is a gay going on. Just a little. It's not that hidden, you know? It's not <laughs> that, it's not that subtle either. Like there's a part where Kaoru gets up and he's naked and Shinji's just blushing like crazy and like come on come on come have on you seen, have you seen the like the little um you're reading the wrong way disclaimer from the manga that people were passing around a while ago i have not tell me about it it's it's a mess i mean i i haven't read the manga to be clear like i don't know how out of character the characters are or anything like that but mm. and uh, i don't remember exactly what they say but shinji's like like, hey, so uh, you're going to have to read uh, right to left, which might be a little hard for you. And Kaoru's just there and he's like, hard, you say? And it's just, <laughs> what, are th- what are they doing? But yeah, it cracked oh me my- up. Oh my God. It, it, even- it is my understanding that the manga's a little bit gayer, at least regarding Shinji and Kaoru. I don't know because I haven't read it. I I have debated whether or not I want to read it. But yeah, it is it is in the rumor mill that that is the case. Let's see. Oh, I do want to mention and and I and I I've mentioned this before and I I still think it's pretty funny. One of the only things I knew about Ava before actually sitting down and watching it was the whole Netflix controversy of them changing Kaoru's line. Yeah. But when I figured that out, I didn't know who the characters were. So when I started watching Ava, I was like, okay, all I know about this show is that there is a gay. I wonder who the gay is. So for (laughs) most of the show, I was under the assumption that Toji was going to be the one in love with Shinji. (laughs) Oh my. Okay, I'm sorry, but that is the biggest brain take I have ever heard. I don't know why my brain was like, oh, definitely, this this guy has to be the one, right? Because it just never occurred to me that the biggest gay ship in this show would be with someone who appears in one episode. Okay, yeah, same. Like, I did not realize how minor Kaoru was. But also, also, I just want to, like, I just want to kind of... Um, validate that for a moment like low-key there are some interesting moments early on and I think this just this ties in more with maybe just the sort of recurring theme of like gender sexuality and like Shinji not totally conforming to all of you know the masculine ideals and all that but um but Toji and Kensuke do make a couple comments like for example when when Shinji is wearing like Asuka's plug suit and stuff like that where they are like, like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. And I know some translations are like, I don't like that you look like you and Asuka are a couple, but some are just like, mm, I don't know about you in, in girls' clothes. That makes me feel kind of weird. Yeah. So, yeah. So, like, there is an interesting aspect there. Anyway, I just think it's like, because I love Toji so much, I also oh. love Kensuke, actually. I love their whole trio. I just think that's a very big brained take that, that you have. <laughs> <laughs> it like it's it's not honestly it's not even that much of a take it was just the impression that I got when I started watching the show because okay it's kind of normal in anime and this I guess in just in media in general where you know the bully bullies you because he has a crush on you like I grew up with Hey Arnold the epitome of that trope so <laughs> when I saw Toji just like being very aggressive towards Shinji he had a lot of pent-up issues and then he felt really bad about it and he felt remorseful I was like oh so this is the gay that everyone's talking about but no I was wrong (laughs) but could now I'm like so mad like could you imagine how good a dynamic that would actually be it would have been interesting I can't tell you that 
Like yeah. I do, I do think about it sometimes. I'm like, you know what? Maybe, maybe they knew it would be too much, and that's why they didn't write it. They were, they were like, it's too powerful. Too powerful. Yeah, yeah. I would keep that in in your your ideas bank since you say that you're like a romance writer. Uh, may I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll just I'll just put that in my little pocket, and we will continue. <laughs> you're like, yeah. Look, no one needs to know it came from uh, Evangelion. It's fine. <laughs> It's fine. Even though there's like this recorded podcast on Spotify that anyone can just look up and, <laughs> but no one needs to know. No one. Needs to yeah. <laughs> that was, I was just joking, you guys. Totally. Uh, I got, a, I got a couple of responses in this thread too, where, um, you know, I got two uh, Shinji and Misato. I got the Risiko and Misato one. I got Shinji and Karu. I got two people who told me that their favorite relationships were like of the individual pilots, uh, Asuka and Rei, respectively, the relationship they had to themselves. And I really do think that's a very interesting take. I'm not going to touch upon it too much in this episode because I feel like we have more to say about that when we go to the individual pilot episodes, which are very far ahead in the planning stages. They are not going to be here anytime soon because they intimidate me. But I will say this. The fact that Asuka tries to, quote unquote, mature faster, become an adult at a quicker pace than everyone else because of her childhood trauma. And she tries doing this through romantic and sexual connections was very well handled as someone who consumes a lot of film like for both podcast work and just general hobbies I feel like a lot of writers tend to mishandle when teenage girls try to get a grip on their own sexuality and they end up exploiting them more than actually helping them Evangelion does a really good job of explaining that, yes, Asuka wants these things, but Asuka doesn't really understand what these things mean. And, you know, the biggest scene that we can take away from this is the opening scene in episode 22, where she literally throws herself on top of Kaji. And she's like, yes, I'm ready. I can do this, even the grown-up things. And the fact that that's the language that she uses to communicate that she thinks that she is ready to have sexual relations just highlight so clearly the fact that she truly is not ready for anything like that and thank fuck the show decided not to make kaji a creep because holy hell i remember feeling so like nervous watching that scene i was like please please don't make him a creep please don't make him a creep and the fact that he's the only grown-ass adult man that's like nope you're young goodbye including in real life yep yeah, <laughs> yeah. be yeah, more like, like kaji you guys straight up had had kaji like been a creep about it yeah i like that might have been one line too many for me honestly oh if kaji had been a creep i would not stand him the way i do trust me yeah i i just mean like for the show as a whole i I don't to me that would have undermined so so much of what you were saying like that they Mm -hmm. established about asuka because yeah i agree like i think she's a very well-written character but like obviously that that sort of manifestation of trauma which is very real is something you have to be careful with mm-hmm. uh in your yeah in your portrayal because otherwise you'll yeah you might just end up kind of yeah doing more harm sexualizing this yes traumatized girl yeah 
Oh, man. I, I feel like the team of writers did, did an excellent job portraying that, especially just with... I, I really like the particular use of dialogue that she uses in that scene because it just highlights that she's a 13, 14-year-old girl that doesn't really understand what she's asking for. She thinks she does because she's matured at a faster rate than everyone else around her. But she's still just a girl. And Kaji yeah. recognizes that. Which is why, yeah. honestly, I do think he tried to keep her at a distance at all times. He didn't do it out of, out of any sense of malice, per se. He was just, you know, people know when people have crushes on you, at least when they display it as overtly as Asuka did. And he was just trying to maintain that distance. And yeah. I don't know, I think that's pretty cool of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, agreed. And that, that's another just bit of sort of realistic writing, I think, that I appreciate. Because again, I I think that's just kind of a like somewhat common dynamic that I've that I've seen in real life. And yeah, it's like part of me, this is all speculation, but part of me wonders like if Asuka hadn't been throwing herself at him, he might have been a little more of like a fatherly figure or or guardian, just a little a little closer with her. Yeah. But that is yeah, that is sort of like the boundary you have to establish in that kind of situation. He's gotta be like, hey kid, kiddo. Little sis, how about you you stay over there? Way over there. Yeah. It's like three lunch tables distance from me, okay? Yeah. Uh, and again, on the opposite side of the spectrum, you have Ray and the fact that Ray's continuously male presence in her life is motherfucking Gendo, which, ooh. Motherfucking Gendo. Motherfucking Gendo with his creepy ass shit and his sexual assaulty behavior. Poor girl. I'm glad she gets to destroy him at the end, even if it is only metaphorically. That was, yeah, still so satisfying. Yes, devour him. (laughs) So at the end of the day, I guess what Ava has to say about love, at least romantic love in general, is would be nice if I had the time and that's it. Okay, no, no, no. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. Um, I feel like what Ava has to say about love is the same thing it has to say about a lot of these other different complex emotions. It's way more difficult than what people give it credit for. It's way more complex and way more intricate than what people give it credit for. Love is just not something you feel and that's it. Love is something that you feel. You have to understand. You have to truly evaluate whether that is the feeling that you are feeling and you're not just experiencing an attraction or just a simple crush. Because a lot of people conflate these ideas of love being this all-encompassing thing that is ever eternal. When in reality, We love a lot of times in our lives, whether we love our partners or we love someone from far away or, you know, whatever circumstances that you might be into. Love is difficult, just the same way as all other emotions are. I feel like what separates the idea or the emotion of love from other types of emotion is just that love usually involves a partner or multiple partners if you're polyamorous and a deep sense of trust that you can't really have with anyone else. 
at least that's my take from it. And since Ava is a show about, you know, the hedgehog's dilemma, the more you try to get closer to people, the more you hurt them. It, it has interesting things to say about it. And it does so use, utilizing this vast array of colorful characters. What types of things can work? What types of things can't work? What types of things go out in the forefront? What types of things go in the surface and the subtext? And at the end of the day, how much something like that matters when we're in the middle of a possible apocalypse. It, it's so it's so fascinating on so many levels mm-hmm. and depressing, but yeah, but mostly fascinating. Yeah, I'm sorry that conclusion was such a downer. <laughs> hey man, that's Evangelion. Yeah, like when you when you said that uh, the conclusion is just like wish I had the time, I was I was fully ready to be like yeah yeah that is the conclusion. But yeah, no, of course, of course, there's more going on. No, but oh. like too long didn't read is yeah. Love seems nice. Wish I had the time to do that. Anyway, Once, just one more note that I took that I like forgot to mention. This would be all the way back in freaking uh, Toji and Hikari. Oh, let's but, do it. Let's go back to the yeah. wholesome. <laughs> yeah, I just found this very interesting. To, to put a little lighter spin on like the whole love in the time of the apocalypse narrative, I do think there's a lot of emphasis on how in sort of fraught times like these, when when a lot of people are experiencing personal traumas and when a lot of people have lost people that are close to them, especially their parents and lost a sort of sense of normalcy, you see people's peers sort of coming in and filling those roles. People are really into found family tropes right now. Oh uh, yeah. All the millennials want to like form a commune with their friends and just go live with them and like that is just so telling to me. And yeah, I I just thought it was very fascinating like how close so many of the students are shown to be in this show mm-hmm. and then the sort of like romance and caregiver roles that like Toji and Hikari sort of perform for each other. It's like they're stepping in where where like other people just can't. And that, that was really fascinating to me also. They are extremely precious. And you know what? I'm going to add to your point, a tweet I made a while back, like a way while back, um, where I was talking about how it's interesting that out of all the romantic dynamics in the show, the only one that really truly starts with the possibility of becoming something is Toji and Hikari. Because when Hikari is making the approach to Toji about, you know, making him a school lunch because she notices that he always eats from the vending machines... Toji doesn't waste any time like trying to put another barrier between them. Hikari doesn't do that either. He's basically just like, you want to make me lunch? Sure, I'll help you make me lunch. That sounds nice. And that's it. It's an establishment. It's a connection. He definitely could clearly see what she meant by it. And I just like that. It, it, It leaves that very soft feeling when you watch it. Yeah, he doesn't have any time for like Shinji and Asuka social games type nonsense. Exactly. He's just like, you like me? Shit, I like you too. Valid and and good. My prince, my king. (laughs) Oh, he's the subject for for the next episode. I'm super excited for that. Oh, that's that's great. So yeah, I just find it interesting that out of all these dynamics, out of all of these people that maybe have things for each other and maybe they don't, Hikari and Toji are the ones that just do not waste any time. She's like, I want to make you lunch. And he's like, 
Okay, thank you for that. Yeah, it's like there are there are 10 or so couples in the show, and yet, like, the very side character 14-year-olds have, like, the most solid relationship. Good for them. <laughs> Good for them. Good for the babies. Make them go eat ice cream and hold hands. All right, I think that's going to be it for today. I had a blast talking about this because I fucking love romance and how to use it and how not to use it so thank you so much delfina for coming with me on this episode to just gush about this with me for a while to to discuss our hot takes if you will and this is your space now so whatever you want to promote whatever you want to uh shout out go ahead this space is yours so yeah i don't have a bunch to promote but i guess follow me on Twitter and Tumblr and on Twitter you can also see my dumb little film about um queer baiting that I made which which I had fun with Ooh. Uh, <laughs> yeah it'll that's in my pinned tweet so so plug there I'll um, plug it in the tweet thread oh not nice <laughs> yeah. my Twitter handle is bitch fartman b-i-t-c-h-p-h <laughs> art man <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Oh, Lord. Maybe. Yeah. And now it pains me to say this. My uh, my Tumblr handle is not any more mature. It is IBS Karapika because I also love um, Hunter Hunter. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. I guess um, IBS K-U-R-A-P-I-K-A. Follow me. I'll talk about animals. Follow Delfina. Thank you so much for coming. This was a blast. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Uh, uh, if you ever want to come back, please let me know. I love having recurring guests on the show. Uh, so if there's any ever a topic that interests you, just let me know. And, you know, I, I, might, I might sneak you in there once or twice. I, yeah, I, I would love to think that, I'm, that I am done, like, running my mouth. But I know I'm not, so... I may very well take you up on that. We'll see. Perfect. So thank you guys. If you finish uh, hearing the episode up until now, thank you so much for sticking with us. Uh, As you guys might not be aware of or might be, uh, we have a Patreon now. I set up a Patreon so you can help me fund the cost of hiring an editor to edit out the ums and the uhs. that we sometimes have during the show. So if you'd like to support me or support the podcast and you like what I do and you like what I do with other people here, please check that link out. It's in the description of my Twitter page, if I'm not mistaken. And you can also find it on the card, which is linked in my profile. Uh, we are Ava X Lilith, same handle on most social medias. And we have a very fun little system where if you pledge $1 per month, you are a bridge bunny. If you pledge $3 a month, you are a, you're either military soldier or spy for the adult trio. And if you pledge $5 a month, you could be categorized as a pilot. So check that out if you want to support the podcast, if you want to support this little experiment that I'm running. And for me to have more exciting and fun guests. So thank you all for tuning in and listening. Have a wonderful week. Happy late Valentine's Day. And I hope to see you all and hear more about your thoughts in Twitter and in the upcoming episodes. Goodbye!